James chapter number five. <clears throat> James five. Um, this is a. Uh, we're going to not read these first few verses of chapter five. Great, great passage. When I was going through this, I really thought, James, why did you put this here? And I think those are always good questions. When I was preaching this to our church. I realized this is a good passage to express. In fact, I said I should have changed the title because I spent a lot of time on this. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, God's condemnation of socialism. And God hates socialism. You know, there's a lot of relevant things today that we find in the Bible. And God gives some reasons, and there's other Old Testament passages as well. And, uh, but I want us to look in verse number 7, begin our reading there. We'll read down to verse number 12. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Oh, I think if we're going to see God continue to mature us and develop us and make us into effective channels and servants for His sake and our good, we're going to have to have the right mindset about something that He's mentioned four times here, and that is patience. I want to preach to you on this thought. Instead of wasting time, try waiting. Instead of wasting, you don't want to waste your time here. No one wants you to waste your time here but the devil. Instead of wasting your time, try waiting on God. Or if I could say it the way James says it, be patient, brethren, be patient. Thank you. Please be seated. We have a strong tendency at times to give up, it's just part of our culture. We quit. We quit on everything. We quit on our marriages. We quit on education. God's people quit on church. They quit on God. And that indication, at times that feeling, it also may indicate that God is trying to teach us something about this matter of waiting on Him. We study James 5 and verse 7. We read about this matter of waiting on the Lord. And there may be someone today feeling, even if you haven't been here long enough, you might feel like you're in a holding pattern. But maybe you've been in school a while and you just feel like you're in this holding pattern. Maybe you're, in a, you're waiting for funds to come in because you have some bills that are due. And uh, maybe you're waiting for a new spiritual opportunity, a door to open, something to crystallize. You're just looking you're waiting. We're in all kinds of waiting situations in this life. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40 and verse 31, you know this. 
They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In other words, you don't have strength. You find yourself, as Pastor Shaver was talking about, you're, you're, you're weak, you're powerless. Isaiah says, exchange your no strength for his omnipotent strength. Again and again in the Bible, the Lord teaches us through people that he taught. To wait on God. Abraham had to wait all those years in the desert before he was ready for his ministry. A lot of what school is about is waiting, not wasting. There's nothing about this by design of leadership and certainly not by the design of God for you to waste anything. In fact, God's mindset is be steadfast, unmovable. In other words, you're going to need to do a lot of the same. And you're going to need to stay in the same place for a lengthy period of time. Be steadfast, unmovable. Therefore, you'll always be able to abound. You can't abound until you learn to do the same things over and over and stay for a lengthy time in a certain place. It's not always geographical, but being steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor's not in vain. You're not wasting time. When you're waiting on God. All the great people of God had to learn what it meant to wait on the Lord. I want you to see why we must wait on the Lord. And then I want you to see uh, when we must wait upon the Lord. And then I want us to see how we must wait upon the Lord. Why we must wait upon the Lord. When we must wait upon the Lord and how. Have you ever noticed how programmed again we are in society to not wait? Have you ever got impatient waiting for your pizza to get done in the microwave? I mean, I find myself, I, I, get, I, I get impatient and, um, and I'm watching it. It gets down to five, four, three, two, that's enough. And I just open it up. <laughs> Even the ding takes too long for it to uh, run its course. Have you ever seen uh, the advertisements for pizza delivery? If we don't get it there in 30 minutes, you get your pizza free. You ever seen that? I hope you're not one of the ones who tried to give the pizza guy the wrong address so you could get your pizza free. We went from having fax machines because we didn't want to wait for a letter. If we send a package, we send it Federal Express, and we have computers that makes information available so fast. And, and all of these things are not bad, but if it's programming us to, to treat God and growing and maturing the way we treat other things, we're being programmed to be impatient, and that's not good. Why? Because we're, we're not waiting on God. We're looking for God to wait on us. It's not in our nature. It's not in our makeup to want to wait. However, we do spend a lot of time waiting in spite of all of our modern conveniences. You've got to wait at the doctor's office. You wait in traffic. But this matter of waiting on God is quite significant. When should we wait on God? Why and how? Number one, when should I wait on God? In James chapter 5, he just, I believe, emphasizes a few things. Because you can say we need to wait on God all the time, yes. But, but there are times when we need to wait the most or it's most crucial is when we don't recognize it because of the circumstances. There's a time for everything. There's a time to launch out into the deep. And there's a time to stay put and wait. Jesus said to his disciples one day, launch out into the deep, let down your nets. There's a time to launch. There's a time to move forward. Remember God said to Moses, speak to the 
people of Israel that they may go forward. Another time he said, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. So we need to discern. We need to recognize. And the only way we're going to recognize is by cooperating with God. And getting the mindset of what God is trying to accomplish in this matter of maturing us as a disciple of His. And so I think he gives us three examples of when we need to wait on God. We need to wait on God when circumstances are uncontrollable. When your circumstances are uncontrollable. Notice in verse number seven. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. When you can't control the circumstances, you know, we need to wait. Only God can bring the answer. Wait, stand, listen. I'm saying something to you. I'm, I'm doing um, something in your life. God is saying, I'm trying to work something through a circumstance that you didn't cause and you cannot change. It's, it's one that, that you have to deal with, but you're only going to be able to deal with it by waiting and watching me. You have any uncontrollable circumstances in your life? Well, probably more so here than if you were at home in your bedroom doing your own thing. Are there decisions other people have made that maybe have put you in a position where you face any difficulty? You want to do something about it. You can hardly stand to wait, and yet there's really nothing you can do. Obviously, you're in a circumstance where you have to learn to wait upon God. The farmer here he speaks of in verse 7, he has to wait because... He's not in control of the elements. He can't control the sun and, and the rain. Oh, he can plant the seed, but he can't control the rain. He can't control the sunshine, the bugs, or the wind. And there are many things that he cannot control. He has to do what he can, and then he has to wait upon God. Waiting is not being passive. You're active. You're involved in doing what God wants you to do. Trust and obey is not passivity, but it is waiting upon God. It's letting God do what God wants to do, can do. The reason that he uses the farmer as an example of waiting is because the Bible says that's like spiritual progress. Again, this waiting mindset has been corrupted by our fascination with novelty. We want new, we want this, we can get it quick. You ever notice the, the news, if you look at any news apps, if you look at that, they're all about just giving you the, the headline. Because, and, and they're constantly refreshing that because that dopamine rush that they get, it, it's, it's effective. It just keeps people coming back looking for, refresh. people don't want to take the time to read the article, they're seeing the, just the headlines. And we, we get so accustomed, and I want to tell you the danger of that. The danger of that is that same brain that gets used to that dopamine rush of, I got to check my email, got to check to see if I got a text, got to check to see the, the, if, the, if the score changed, if, if the weather changed, if, if the headlines changed. That same brain, you come into chapel, you come into service, you can get turned off because that black and white there on your page isn't changing. And he says, look to the farmer. Farming would help us a great deal in our life. I, I, I didn't grow up on, I don't know anything about a farm. The only thing I know about a garden is the produce aisle at the grocery store. That's the closest I know anything about farming. 
But I married a farmer, and so therefore I understand a lot of this and, uh, as, as time has gone on. And there's great benefit to understanding the Christian life. You spend time with God. You've, you've had your time with God consistently maybe now a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks and maybe a month or two months and three months. And you say, I just don't really see a whole lot changing in my life. Could you imagine the farmer selling the farm because after three months he didn't see a whole lot change? It takes some time. Don't get weary in well-doing, God says. In due season, it works. But you've got to learn to wait. You, you, need to, you need to recognize it's like planting a seed, waiting on God to bless the seed, waiting for God to water and grow the seed and then bring it to life. This is the way it is in your spiritual life. Sometimes you sow the seed and nothing happens. You think that God is doing nothing and you're in this waiting pattern. You need to wait like the farmer when your circumstances are uncontrollable. But then verse number 10, it tells us, well, look at it. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of, what's the word? Patience. Patience. So we need to wait upon God when circumstances are uncontrollable. But verse 10, I believe, is telling us we need to wait upon God when people are unchangeable. When people are unchangeable. He says, have you considered the prophets? You remember these prophets, they're an example of those who did the work of God. Many times they found themselves waiting on God when people seemed to be unchangeable. Their message is going forth. God's word was true. Their, their message was right. God is right. But the people were not responding to it. A prophet is someone sent by God to confront people with the need for change. Such as Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel Amos and Obadiah. The ministry of these prophets was to tell Israel that it was uh, what was happening and that they were going in the wrong direction. They needed to repent. The word repent means to change one's mind. And yet, many a time over in these prophets' lives and ministry, the people's minds didn't change. It was not all that glamorous to be a prophet, even though they had some advantages. He, he could preach his message and move on to the next town. Maybe he'd preach it again. But on the other hand, when you examine the results of the prophet Saul, their vocation became very discouraging, humanly speaking, because people were not willing to embrace it and change. You ever try to change somebody who is unchangeable? You ever tried to change a friend, a sibling? You ever tried to to, to get someone who's lost, you're trying to persuade them to, to, to get a hold of the gospel and people just resist change. It's easy just to, 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 to wash your hands of them and, and, and just, I'll just move on. I'm telling you, sometimes people, and I'm saying unchangeable, but the fact is there's no heart but what God can change. And Saul of Tarsus is a great example of that. There's no one too hard for God to get through to. But I'm saying in the midst of you seeing they're not changing, what do, I, what do I do? If the message is right and the ministry is right, if, if the call of God is there and the truth is what you're giving, wait on God. Wait on God. Wait. 
uh, I'm, I'm going to also give my philosophy on the amen part. Uh, amen, I get done faster. And I'm before lunch. So it's to your advantage uh, to, to get with it. Because if you don't amen, I just assume you didn't get it. So I feel like I need to go back. And, and, and so I keep repeating. My wife would say, why do you keep repeating? Because I don't think they're getting it. So I just keep going back and repeating. Now, yes, I am. I, I, have, I have experienced a lot of people amening at the wrong time. In fact, I have to at times say, uh, let me ask you this, or let me, let me say this, and then I have to actually say, don't say amen here. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I say it, and somebody says, amen. And it's like, no, uh, who's the idiot now? You know, so it, but how about Jeremiah? He preached for years. And he didn't have a single convert. Nobody's responding. He told God, I'm just going to stop. Maybe I'm going to go into computer business. Maybe I'm going to do something else. But you know what kept him going? There's a prophet who said, the word of God is, is bound up in me and it's burning fire in me and I can't help but to speak. He had to learn to wait on God. The Bible teaches us to wait on God when circumstances are uncontrollable, when people are unchangeable. But in verse number 11, he also helps us. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Now look at it. Ye have heard of the, what's the word? Patience of who? Job. The patience of Job. We need to learn to wait upon God when problems are unexplainable. The more I'm around people and problems, the more I just, I'm trying to figure out what to say. The only thing I can think is, I don't know what to say. I mean, there's no, I just don't know how to explain it. And then James says, there's been a lot of other people in those situations. Job, we've heard of Job's perseverance. We've heard people say, we need to have the patience of Job. I tell you, there's a lot of Job that was unexplainable. Remember Job, he lost his possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health. The worst part of the whole story was that he lost everything humanly. The worst part is he didn't know why. The first 37 chapters of this long book of Job is Job speaking to God. Job's friends coming and speaking to Job. But in these 37 long chapters... You don't find God speaking. And it's just why. God's best man on earth. He's under attack. His body has sores. His family is gone. His reputation is ruined. His reason to live has been denied him. He's sitting in the ashes alone. What do you do when something happens and you can't understand why? Time after time, people ask, why, God? Why did God choose my family? Why did God let this happen to my child? Why did God allow this to happen to my father? Why is this happening? Many times, however, God is silent. And when he's silent, you have to learn to wait upon him. Love the book of Esther. We're going through the book of Esther. You don't find God's name in Esther, but God's all throughout Esther. When God's silent, he's still God. He doesn't give up being God. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't fall asleep in chapel. 
He didn't doze off. His silence doesn't mean he's not working. You just got to wait on him. God has a purpose, and sometimes the only way he's going to reveal it is in that midst of silence. Listen to what William Barclay, he made a great observation, I believe, about Job's trials. He says that Job's patience, that we hear so much about, Job's patience was not passivity. It was a quiet submission to his circumstances. He passionately resented his sufferings, perhaps, and saw no good in it, maybe. He wondered if God had forsaken him, and he strongly contended with his friends who were sure that Job was the hypocrite, otherwise he'd be in good health. But listen, let me quote William Barclay. He said, quote, His, that is Job, is no unquestioning submission. He struggled and questioned and sometimes even defied, but the flame of his faith was never extinguished. Job 13, 15, you know it. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. How can we not? Job said in Job 19, 25 through 27, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin uh, uh, worms destroyed this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me, Job 42 and verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. James says, be patient like Job. He says the story of Job, it'll help us when there are things that you just can't explain. Doesn't make sense. When do you wait on God? When circumstances are uncontrollable. When people seem to be unchangeable. When problems are unexplainable. Just walk by faith. Now you can put faith in the one who is in control and you can put faith in the one who doesn't change and you can put faith in the one who's explained himself sufficient to us. You know, I'm still in God's waiting room. God's teaching me patience and faith and dependence upon him and it's a great place to be. Number two, quickly, why should I wait on God? Why should we wait on God? You say, well, it's right. Well, that's true. But it's good sometimes to get... I think the Bible support and, and he gives us why it's right. Notice in verse number eight. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know, one of the reasons I say we can wait upon God is this. God is in control. You wait on God because he's in control. Three times he mentions in this chapter the coming of Jesus. Why? What does the coming of Jesus have to do with my learning to be patient wait on him? Because the coming of Jesus is God's ultimate demonstration of his sovereignty in history. See, history is moving toward a climax. And God is working beyond all the things that we see in the nations of this world. And these cycles are leading us to one climactic event. The glorious return of Jesus. And so he's saying, you can wait upon God because the fact is, no one could stop him coming the first time. No one can stop him coming the next time. And that just demonstrates that God is still in control. Romans 8, 28 is still there. How many things work together for good? 
Yeah, but there is, well, let me see if the rest of the student body knows this. How many of the things work together for good? All. all. Uh, let's, let's all try it. All, all of us, all of us. All right, here we go. And, and there's, a, there's a key word in all there, okay? Uh, how many things work together for our good? All. And, but there is, it's not just a, a blanket, all things are going to work together for good because, again, God's my genie, he's my butler, divine butler, that is. No, no, he says all things are going to work together for good when you are completely cooperating with him and your love and affection and, and attitude is towards him. And he, he's not in this to make us happy. He's in this to get us to see that he's God. And when you recognize that, you see that you're going to find God is in control and can work all things together for my good. And so uh, these, this matter of I can wait upon God um, uh, because he's in control. Here's another reason. Because he's promised to reward those who wait on him. He's promised to reward. And, and that's what he gives us here in verse number uh, 11. He wants to reward those who persevere are set forth as examples. Remember Daniel in the den of lions and the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and Joshua at the wall of Jericho, Moses at the Red Sea. We know about Abraham. He believed God in spite of the fact he's 100 years old, his wife is 90, and God says, I want to give you a child. See, we admire them for what they, the reward. We admire them for their success through that waiting trial. It's the very reason we need to learn to wait. Because God wants to give us what he gave Moses, Abraham, the three Hebrew children, Daniel. Many times it's easy for us to get in a hurry and jump into something without God's leadership. Remember Moses, he is telling God, when God's looking for a leader, Moses is saying, pick me. I can do this. I can do it. Pick me. And you remember, Hebrews says that Moses turned his back on everything to suffer reproach with the people of God. He turned his back on everything but one thing. He didn't turn his back on Moses. God wanted to use Moses. Let me remind you, God wants to use you. But in order for God to use Moses, he had to get Moses out of Moses. And he puts him on the backside of a desert. What do you think he learned on the backside of the desert? Waiting, patience, waiting on God, not wasting time, but waiting. And then God comes to him and says, Moses, now it's time. You remember what Moses did then in Exodus chapter 3? He begins to come up with excuses. I can't do this. I can't do I, I just. I just can't do that. And then the Bible says God got angry with Moses. I used to say, well, why did you get angry with him? Isn't that what you wanted him to learn? But you know what he learned in that was only part of the equation. Yes, God was trying to get Moses to go from, pick me, I can do it. He can't. Pick me, don't, don't look at them, pick me. To now him saying, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do it. God got angry because that's only part of the equation. Because the fact is, God never said he could. You can't, Moses couldn't, but God can and God could. 
And God was warning Moses to see through this waiting period for us to get to the point of understanding just as we heard the last hour, I can't do this, but you can. And if you only get stuck with I can't, that's still pride. And you're still stuck on you. And God's trying to get you to see it's not you, it is God, but you're going to learn that only through the waiting times. Wait. Wait and see what God does. That's what he did with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham said, God, I can bring about a child. It seems like you're not going to do it. So I can take care of this situation myself. God says, I can't let you do that. I can't accept that. God could not accept Abel's offering because Abel tried to come to God for salvation by bringing the best that he had to offer. God rejected it at salvation and God will reject in our service that which Abraham tried to offer, that which was something that we did, that we produced. God's been God for quite a long time and he knows how to do it. We're going to have to learn to wait. God has a better plan than our plan. God can do a better work than our work. God is in control. God's promise to reward. Why should I wait on him? God is in control. God has promised to reward. And here's another reason. Because God is working things out even when we can't see it. Wait upon God. Why? Because he's working things out even when you can't see it. Did you know that God didn't have to check in with you and give you an update and report as to how he's doing? He's He's working. He's doing it. You remember what God finally brought about in Job's life? He brought about blessing. He, he blessed Job twofold. God blessed him twice as much in the restoration. God saw the problem and brought Job out of his misery. The point is, God's delays in our life are not denials in our life. When you're waiting and you think nothing's happening, nothing is being done, remember, if you're looking to God, He's working all the time that you're waiting. If you're looking at your Christian life and you don't see any fruit, remember that growth takes time. When you plant a seed, it takes a while before you see any life. But beneath that soil, the seed is swelling soon. Life bursts forth from that seed and, and takes root in the ground. And all of this has to take place before you see evidence that there's going to be a harvest. It takes time. Listen, it, it doesn't take long to get saved. You get saved in a moment. It doesn't take you long to get right with God. You get right with God in a moment. We're talking about developing our maturity and growing and being effective. And God will work that process. And it's a cooperation and waiting upon Him. If you feel dry and fruitless, barren, something's not going on in, in your mind. You're not going forward. You're not moving out. You're not growing. But if you're trusting and obeying and you're waiting and you're cooperating, I can tell you deep down beneath the service, down in your heart, if you're waiting on God, God is working all the time. Why do you need to wait on Him? Because He's in control, because He's promised to reward those who wait, and because He's working all things together for our good. He's working while you're waiting. I want you to see the last thing. How should we wait on God? How do we wait? We've talked about when and why. But now, just quickly, how? Remember the farmers? Remember how the farmers work? And it's not an overnight thing. We're to wait. Here it is. Wait expectantly. 
wait expectantly. I think it's what the farmers do. They plant the seed. They wait for the latter rain and, and um, they trust God for the harvest. They trust the elements to work. The psalmist said in Psalm 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Wait expectantly on God. You say, God, I'm looking for you for this situation to be resolved. God, I'm looking to you to work this thing out. God, I have this loved one who needs to come back to you, who's away from you. God, I'm expecting you to work. You wait standing on the promises of God. What about the uncontrollable circumstance? You can wait expectantly on God. What about the unchangeable person, the unexplainable problem? You wait expectantly upon God. Are you expecting God to do it? Are you expecting God to do anything? Are you? God wants us to expect him. God wants him to anticipate. Isaiah 49, 23, And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. If you're expecting him to do something, what are you doing to get ready for it? What if you went up to a farmer and said, uh, are you doing any farming these days? Oh, yeah. We're expecting hundreds of acres of harvest. Where is it? Well, it's right out there. Have you planted? Haven't planted anything. Have you worked the soil? I can't work it. There's trees out there. I've got to cut those down and plow them. Well, when's that going to happen? I don't know. Praying about it. I'm saying when we're cooperating with God, waiting with God, we're embracing His Word, standing upon truth. What are we doing to, to prepare for God to show up? If God began to answer prayer in your life, what are you doing to get ready for that prayer to be answered? Are we preparing our hearts? The farmer doesn't plant the seed, take a six-month cruise, and return later to an expectant crop. No, he prepares for the harvest that is to come. He may be working on the equipment. He may be building his fence. He may be doing many things, but he's expecting a harvest. He's getting ready to receive it. He's cleaning out his barn. He's getting ready for the harvest that God's going to give him. If we're expecting God to do something, then we need to get ready. We need to be living with expectation. Jesus prepared, listen, Jesus prepared for 30 years of his life and had three years of ministry and accomplished more than anyone ever has on the face of this earth. He's the only man in the Bible who could say, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same work shall I do. He did it perfectly. But can you imagine in those days, can you imagine when Jesus was young, he could have said, Father, I am ready to go. I'm tired of driving nails. I want to start preaching. What's the holdup? When the time was right, Jesus was sent forth by the Father. He was empowered by the Spirit. We need to understand that we're going to go through some things right now that may be God's preparation for your ministry. Something that He's had in mind for you and your life specifically. Too many of us want the three-year preparation and the 30-year success. Let me say, don't try to manufacture your own miracles. Don't try to answer your own prayers. Don't try to do God's job for Him. Would you look over at verse 12? I read verse 12 on purpose. won't get to it, but I do want you to see it because I do believe it's significant. He says, but above all things, 
So it means everything he has just said, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about don't swear. Now he's not saying, he's not talking about vulgarity, but he's saying don't swear. Swearing refers to swearing oaths. Why is James bringing up the swearing of oaths in the midst of this matter of being patient and having the right mind about waiting on God. Because the issue that he's talking about is the issue, listen, it's the issue of authority and control. These are people, when they swear and they take an oath in this sense, they're undermining God's authority and they're undermining God's control. There are two signs of people who are trusting God and waiting on God in this passage. Verse 7 through 9, people who don't complain about their treatment and those who don't compromise truth. That's verse number 12. But he's saying this matter of of taking an oath. Hebrews 6, it, it helps me with this. God was trying to tell Abraham and wanted to guarantee to Abraham, I'm going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you offspring. And in Hebrews chapter 6, he talks about this matter of swearing. To confirm his intentions, God swore by himself. So in the midst of this, the writer also tells us why people, why humans swear. And that is to confirm that what I said is going to happen. I mean this. I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And and it's that idea. And this was very common in in the economy of of the people. And so God swore by himself. Abraham, it says in chapter 6 and verse 15, after waiting patiently, after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Abraham received what was promised. Abraham doesn't, now listen, here's the point. God swore by himself. Abraham didn't swear. Again, we're not talking about vulgarity. He's not talking about saying a bad word. But the swearing could have been Abraham saying, God, you promised. You promised you were going to give me a child. You promise you're going to give us a boy. You didn't do it. And now it's impossible. Even if it happened, there's not enough time. And Abraham could have said, I swear to God, I'm going to get a child. You get tired of waiting on God to bring the right mate to you. You can do like every unbelieving person. I swear, I can get married. And yes, you can. Abraham could have a child without God's help. But you can't have God's blessing without God. The matter of swearing in this sense is saying, God, if you don't give me my ministry, if you don't give me what you called me for, 
I can go find a church. I can go, I, I can, I can go preach somewhere. I, I, can, I, I can get out of it. I can go do it. If, if you don't do it, I can do it. I can get married. I can get some recognition. I can enjoy life. And what it's a matter of, swearing is a matter of you undermining God's control and failing to submit to the one who is in control. You know why Abraham could not swear, I'm going to make this work, though he tried? Because Abraham didn't have control over the future. So it only makes sense to submit to the one who does have control over the future. That's why God didn't swear by Abraham. He swore by himself. Listen, young person, can you wait on God? Well, sure. He's in control. If he called you, he's in control. You still don't even know if God's called me. What, 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 if, what if I don't know for sure he's called me to preach and I'm here? Um, uh, what, what, what do you think? Wait on God. Wait on God. What, what else can you do? What else would you want to do? Wait on God. Don't say, God, I can, I can go make a lot of money. Well, sure you probably can. But I'm telling you, the one who has more money than you can go find somewhere, somewhere else is God. Why would you want money when you could have God? Just wait on him. Wait on God. Don't, don't manufacture your miracles. Don't try to answer your own prayers. Don't try to organize this kind of a ministry. Let God do it. I want to tell you why there are churches that are going left. And, and they go left. And, and, and they, they maybe keep going left. And, and they're not churches that, that maybe you're familiar with. And, and just the time that you'll be here in school, by the time you're done, they won't look the same. I tell you, this, this church looks the same. The, the, the leadership is the same except for the fact they've grown and there's a developing, there's a humility about their, their pilgrimage and walk with God and revival. But, but we're, we're not having to try to manufacture ministry. But you know why I believe these churches go left and people go left. You know what I mean by left? We begin to they get trendy. It's because we haven't seen the miracles. Can you imagine, imagine trying to, uh, to tell Elijah, Elijah, I think I can tell you how you can draw a crowd. If you would just you know, get some, some skinnier robes to wear. I'm telling you, people would think you really know what you're talking about. I'm telling you, I, th I think you get a lot more interest in your message if, if you would just dim the lights a little bit. I think if, if you would just adjust the music a little bit more to what they're accustomed to. Listen, in the Old Testament, it's no different than the New Testament. It's no different than 2,000 years later. We're not trying to uh, attract the consumer. The consumer doesn't know what they need. We are supposed to be people who are waiting on God, walking with God, and trying to tell people what they need. It takes time takes time with God. 
You know why Elijah wouldn't be interested in a lot of our ministries? And by the way, most of the Bible college advertisements out there, they're an insult to young people, Christian young people today. Most Bible college posters I find out there say something like this. Hey, come to our school and enjoy the sand and salt water. Hey, come to our school and you will have a blast. But none of them say, come to our school. We'll teach you how to get a hold of God. You want to know how to have a blast? Get a hold of God. Now, I want to tell you why Elijah wouldn't be interested in that kind of appeal. Because when you see the fire of God fall, why would you want anything else that is manufactured that's not real? I'm telling you, young person, waiting on God is about getting to the place where you experience it's real. I get the flyers, I see the stuff that comes in the mail, and I see what people are advertising, and I think until, until prayer has dried up and until the Bible has expired, I don't need anything else. I want to see the fire fall. I don't want to see the, the, uh, the manufacturing of ministry, ministry. I don't want to see the pretending of when it comes to the miracles. I want to see the real thing. And so God wants you to see it as well. Let me, let me stop right here. Lord, I do pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd give us such a hunger to see, see the real Lord, these young people have come out of a, a society today that has been dumbed down. But God, an awakening in their hearts and lives, a deep awakening, an ongoing flame, it can forever transform. Lord, we believe that these young people are not here. This school is not here. This ministry is not here to conform people. It's to see transformation. And I pray that you would just do it within our midst. We're asking for the real. We're not looking for sensational. We're looking for the divine, the supernatural. We're looking for you. Lord, I thank you for these young people. I thank you that they've listened to the call to get here, to stay here. Well, Lord, I pray that you teach them the strength, the energy, the power that comes by waiting. Oh, God, would you meet with us, I pray.